0: The Real Estate Wise Guys Podcast. What is up, my friends? Welcome to the second episode of The Real Estate Wise Guys. I am your host, Zach Barger. I'm here with my co-host and the coolest vegan I know, the boss man himself, Sean Weiss. We are ready to jump into it this week. We are going to hit the numbers uh, for July that just came out with ABOR, and then we're going to jump into some different strategies that we can use for affordability in this new balanced market that we're experiencing. Without further ado, Sean, let's jump into the numbers, my man.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna talk about the, uh, the one that I look at first, which is our closed sales. We are down 35% year over year, which is a significant drop. We haven't seen anything like that um, in a decade probably. And we're trending that way right now. The We can sum it up to buyer demand has diminished greatly. Um, the good thing is the median sales price is continuing to increase. So we saw an eleven percent increase on that. We are now at six thirty-three on the median sales price in the city of Austin. Um with the buyer demand falling, that's obviously that close sales indication. We're seeing more listings, the listings stay sit on the market longer, which is kind of building up our inventory, our supply of of available available homes to 2.4 months, which is a huge increase of where we were at in the middle of last year. But that is still considered a seller's market. We're headed towards three, three and a half, maybe even four months of inventory in the city of Austin, which is much more of a balanced market. And that's something that a lot of agents and buyers should be welcoming with open arms because it's been, it's been tough for a buyer in this market these last few years. And it's been really tough you know, working with buyers and helping them get, get them into homes just because of the,
0: the competition has been so tough. Without a doubt, yeah. The two big takeaways I had from the numbers was pretty surprised by the median home price being as high as it was at 633, which is up 11% over last year. Uh, I figured that we would definitely be up, but up 11% with uh, the amount of sales decreasing was kind of surprising. But it's a good indication that prices are gonna remain strong more than likely throughout this year and into next year we're not going to see huge price growth from this point forward. I think we'll probably end the year somewhere around 600 k but prices remain strong and we'll likely see appreciation in the year somewhere between 5 to 10% at the end of the year.
1: Yeah. And to touch on that, a reminder, you may see a lot of uh, statistics about price decline price reductions all of that when they're talking about those numbers a lot of times to get headlines or to make headlines they're using month over month drop so just to put that in perspective in may our median sales price was 667 june was 615 so that was a drop of $50,000 52 grand month to month we don't look at that number cuz that's too little data we're going to look year over year and we saw it go up to 633 year over year. That was an 11% jump next month or in August last year was $540,000. So that is what we're comparing, you know, August of 2022. We want to look how we did or, you know, what, what the price movement was between last August and this August, we don't really care how, how it's moving from June or July to now. Uh, we want to see that year over year growth. Homeownership is a long-term uh, investment a long, long-term um, asset that people hold on to. So we're not really interested in the month to month change. It's the year over year. So we were at $540,000 last August. We're at 633 this month. So if we did see a drop in price from July to August, we, which is possible, and maybe even likely, the likelihood that it goes all the way down to 540 is Pretty much like completely out of the question so we're still going to see growth in august september october november december that those were all in the mid fives where we were last year and like zach said we're thinking we're going to end up in around low sixes so we're going to see price growth pretty much through the rest of the year and it's going to be a healthy return you know outperforming most markets pre-pandemic so that's something as a homeowner you can feel good about and as a buyer buying at the you know, buying at the top and seeing that is not something that I'd be too concerned with in the short term.
0: For sure. I had a client this week ask if they should wait to purchase a home because they were convinced that we're going to get back to pre-pandemic prices. Do you think that that is a uh, possibility? No.
1: Um, The the short answer (laughs) is no. I mean, we've seen that we've seen a lot of of growth in the last two years. So, I mean, we were seeing 30, 40 percent, you know, in, in some markets and, you know, in some sub markets in Austin, to go back to those numbers, there would have to be, you know, that'd be pretty catastrophic. Do we see some price decline in some markets for sure? And I think that's much more likely once you get outside of kind of central Austin and even just city of Austin in general, and you get to a little bit more, um, what were, were rural areas that are kind of redeveloping and, the, you know, the Elgin and Taylor and Manor and those areas where there's kind of an influx in new builds. When that's the majority of the inventory you're going to see a little bit more volatility in pricing but if you're in austin then yeah that that movement is going to be significantly less and definitely less volatile for sure
0: for sure just to reinforce that point we are not going to get back to pre-pandemic prices Uh, i mean that would be our median home price was in the 400s i think it's unlikely that our median home price will get below 600 definitely not below 575 would be my guess besides the end of the year by the end of the year and we'll continue to see solid price growth moving forward in my mind. Uh, we'll, there's still demand out there. It's kind of been set to the side right now because of interest rates, but I think as we start to stabilize more in the, the four to 7% range, where it becomes more of a norm to have a, a five or 6% interest rate, and that's been there for a while, we're gonna have more buyers entering the market again and that price growth isn't going to be like the 28% we saw last year but it'll probably be in that range of 5 to 10% over the next few years. Yeah, and I think like there's there's definitely parts of Austin that will probably
1: see some, you know, lower growth, price growth in that. You know, we may see zero, there's been talks that there, we you know, we could see negative um, or depreciation in some areas as Austin as a whole I don't know if that's going to be like i'm not a i'm not getting behind that yet the metro area maybe just because there's so many other markets that are going to feed into those numbers but the kind of the moral of that story is anyone who's buying today is not going to be selling next year i mean you shouldn't you shouldn't be going into with that plan obviously there's certain circumstances that may dictate that but if you're buying in late 2022 or early 2023 you're likely going to own that home a minimum of three years that should be your goal anyway and by that, and if we're gonna see this kind of plateau of pricing for the next, you know, six to eighteen months, that shouldn't affect, you know, the purchasing. That's not why people are buying homes to live. Um, it's not a short-term thing, and it has the utility of being your home and where you sleep, and you know, all of that. So that's another component that pricing is moving in a direction that's favorable to buyers. But this fear of you're gonna be upside down by a hundred thousand dollars is. You know very unlikely at this point there's there's still a lot of demand in austin and that are relatively speaking our supply is pretty low still so that's another reminder we're seeing a lot more homes on the market but that's coming from basically
0: no homes on the market right. that we've seen most definitely the other big takeaway i had from the numbers is that we are in a more balanced market and likely will be moving forward in the next few months to even a year or two um, from now for sellers it's important that you price your home appropriately, Now, in the past, you know, two years, honestly, as long as you were in the right ballpark, you're probably going to sell your home pretty quickly. And your marketing wasn't nearly as important. Like it was important. There were definitely tens of thousands of dollars left on the table. If you didn't do things appropriately and you didn't use the appropriate strategies, but now it's heightened. It's more important. How you price your home, how you market your home, if you're going to sell it and sell it at top dollar.
1: Yeah. And in a, a big thing that the conversation I'm having with my sellers now is merchandising the home to get it ready for the market. It's It's the things that we didn't necessarily we really hadn't seen a lot of homes these last few years. It's landscaping. It's it's making some minor updates, even whether it's flooring or light fixtures, countertops, you know, updating a, a powder bath, something like that. Those are difference makers now because you have to stand out because when the buyers are going to look at the houses now, they're looking at four, six, seven homes to compare it to. Where last year, they weren't. They were literally, they were either making offers on most of the homes they saw because there were so few of them, or there was literally nothing else on the market in this little neighborhood that they wanted to be in. So they would look at the one, they would make an offer. Now, and the, the other big thing is we are pricing our listings not based on sold comps. Um, they're, you know, the, those sold comps are getting pretty irrelevant quickly. And historically, what we do is we look at, you know, when a home sold, Uh, you know, in the last wait, you would go back three or six months. And even now, if you go back two weeks, it closed two weeks ago. Well, that means it went under contract 45 days ago and was listed, you know, prior to that. So that data gets old pretty quickly right now. Yeah. It's an indication of like where the kind of the market was in the, in the very immediate short term. But what's more important is looking at what else is on the market, what's active, who's your competition. When you're going to price yours, you want to make sure that you're not more expensive than everybody else, that you're um, and if you are mostly more expensive than the other active comps, are you nicer than all the other active comps? And if you're if you're priced the same as others and their those homes are more updated, bigger, you know, nicer, whatever that it may be, you have to be priced below them because buyers are gonna see that. They have options now, they're gonna see more homes and they're gonna that's gonna factor in their decision. Price right now is the number one thing that we are kind of focusing on with our sellers because that frankly was not a focus these last few years. You could pretty much say, Hey, seller, what do you want to sell your home for? They would pick a number. We could probably agree to it, bait. We could justify it in some way with comps. They'd get that price, if not over, or pretty close to it. Where now it's, hey, we gotta we gotta be a little bit more realistic and strategic in this. Otherwise you will sit on the market for 60 days.
0: For sure. We have to look at the overall picture and evaluate where we are compared to other homes in that sub market, right? We wanna make sure that we're positioning ourselves where we're the most attractive the best value in that neighborhood and that's a combination of how the home is presented and its price you can't um, just because you have someone that's the same square footage if it's not presented the same doesn't mean you can have that same price we have to look at all the variables and make sure that we're positioning it appropriately to help you get that maximum exposure which is going to get you that house under contract and the, the at the highest value possible for you
1: yeah and the w- one other thing I was going to touch on is you I mean you can be you can be the highest price listing in the neighborhood and you can't someone's got to be the the most expensive you just have to be the best house in the neighborhood. I mean that's that's really what it is. So you kind of have to know what your product is and what you're comparing yourself to. And if yours is completely updated and has a new roof and new HVAC and you've invested quite a bit of money in it and you kind of can go toe to toe with these other homes that you it, it is a better product, then you can be the most expensive and the buyers will recognize that and pay that. That's not buyers are still paying list price. <clears throat> I think the preliminary numbers for August are saying we're we're netting about like 98.5% of list price. So people are still getting really close to our list price, but those list prices have to be accurate. I mean, that's the that's kind of the moral of the story there.
0: For sure. And I've seen on my listing over this last week, the phone call volume has definitely increased too. It feels like we're getting a little bit more momentum with uh, some demand. So we'll, it's not gonna be as crazy competitive as it has been the last couple of years, but um, if it's positioned right, there's still plenty of buyers out there ready to, to distribute yeah. their homes.
1: Yeah, and we had an agent in our office Um, they, she just got a house under contract with a buyer and they, it actually had multiple offers and that's just an indication they priced it. They priced it that way. They priced it well. They presented it well. It generated enough activity. And, you know, some people are, their listings are on the market for 60 days, not getting any showings. And it's that, yes, there's better houses than others, but if you price it right, you can still generate multiple offers or, you know, generate an offer in that first weekend.
0: For sure. All right. Let's uh, move on to buyers in this in this market. So obviously, we both have experienced the struggle that it's been the last couple of years representing buyer clients um, in this market, especially if they're not strapped with cash. So overall, how does a buyer navigate this more balanced market? Is it a benefit for them? Yeah. I mean, this
1: is this w- the terminology of a seller's market and a buyer's market has been thrown around. We're not really in a buyer's market. Yet, you know, statistically speaking, it just feels that way because of where we were. Um, but it is it is way more comfortable for a buyer right now. Interest rates obviously are not as good as they were, so there may be some discomfort there. But in terms of the pace of which this market's moving, being able to, you know, get pre-qualified with a lender, meet with your agent, go look at a few homes, visit some open house, kind of get a kind of get a um, grasp on the on what's out there and what the market's like, and then being able to just go look at homes. You can go look at homes on a Saturday wait to make a decision, maybe you come back to it on Monday or Tuesday and you you see some other stuff come on the market and you want to go out again the next weekend. You can do that. And those other homes may still be on the market to compare. You know, stuff is sitting on the market a few weeks so you do have a little bit decision making time, but also just more options to see. And most buyers that are in this market now weren't in the market last year. Like that's just how that's how it works. People don't if you were in the market last year, hopefully you bought and if you didn't, then you maybe you may be in this case where you're looking in both, but so you don't really have anything to compare to if you're getting into it now, but it is, a, it is very refreshing for agents representing buyers that like, this is the way it should be. It's way more comfortable for us too, where we're not feeling like we're, you know, dragging someone through a, you know, a crowded bar to get somewhere and that you don't know where you're going. And, you know, you just kind of have to blind faith of like, all right, then I trust you. We're going to do whatever I say you're going to do. But, this is you get a little bit more time. You can ask those questions. You and you know there's opportunity to negotiate on the contract that weren't there. But the biggest thing for me is talking to buyers that this is a much more comfortable marketplace to be in as a buyer, even with higher interest rates. If if you if you had to pick and choose, like yes, the carrying costs are going to be a little bit higher than they were last year with these interest rates. But when you're getting under contract and you're negotiating, and you're and you're getting into that home as a buyer in this market, you feel way better about it than you did last year. I mean, I had buyers that, you know, they go through the process and they would close and it's not really, it's almost a sense of relief that they finally got to the finish line, but it's not this like joy of like, Oh, this is my, you know, I'm super excited about my house. Cause a lot of times they didn't even really get a picket. Like they just got lucky on the offer that they put in. And, you know, they finally got to the point to where they were tired of losing. So they, you know, they push it, push the envelope to yeah. finally win. I mean, we
0: both had multiple scenarios where you had buyers that you were putting and offers with every single weekend, and when you finally get that one that breaks through, it's almost like, "Oh, now what do we do type yeah. thing. it wasn't like it wasn't really excitement because we just got beat up so much by yeah. this market, and it was hard to avoid that
1: yeah so that's a that's definitely a a big positive about the shift that this market is going is that it is. It is not technically a buyer's market, but it certainly feels like it. And as a buyer coming in this market, it, that's what it'll feel like. There's still a negotiating. There's kind of the tug of war on the contract terms, and that sort of thing. Sellers, um, you know, statistically speaking, there's not a ton of inventory, so they can be a little bit more stubborn and they can negotiate hard as well. But there's opportunity right now for buyers, for sure.
0: I've had people tell me that they're waiting for interest rates to come down before they buy. One, do you think interest rates are going to drop? And two, should they wait for that if you do think it's going to happen? No one knows where interest rates are going. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to take the bait <laughs> on that.
1: Uh, my my uh, crystal ball is, is not that accurate. I think um, right now we've seen interest rates move up. The Fed meeting is um, in the, I think, next week. The expectation is that there's going to be another increase. That doesn't directly affect mortgage rates. It does in kind of an um, ancillary way. A lot of lenders have already kind of priced in that movement, so we're we're getting close to six percent again. Um, we got down back close to five, um, in earlier earlier in August. I think the the expectation is that they're going to get worse before they get better. And then the, I think the question is how much worse and how much better? Um, and you talk to lenders, you talk to people that study this stuff every day and they don't know. I mean, even in a in a less volatile market, they don't really know. You know if they, a, a common lender philosophy is, if you like the rate on paper that I'm showing you today, then lock it in. Don't try to predict what's gonna happen. If you're comfortable with this today, let's lock it in. Um, so, Where rates are going, I think it's anyone's guess. I think, I mean, I've heard all into the spectrum that we're going to be back in the fours next year, that we can hit seven percent, that they're going to stay where they're at. It's, I mean, those are those are the three options, and I don't know which one I, you know, I like I like them to, you know, get back into the fours um, from a kind of a momentum standpoint, but if they get too far down in the threes, that's where you get this kind of lopsided market. You have way more buyers than you have sellers, and and it's difficult. But I think getting into the fours would also open up some opportunity for sellers because right now all these sellers that have homes with mortgages in the threes, low threes, they're not interested in selling and buying something else because interest rates are in the five. So they're going to sit tight, and I think that is going to be kind of a gridlock until we, you know, those the sellers can justify that rate change. Um, <clears throat> and in terms of waiting, uh, common phrases marry the house, date the rate. Um, So don't get too hung up on the rate. Rates can change. There's also a bunch of products out there that can change that rate, whether it be an adjustable rate mortgage, um, buying down, you know, points like there's a bunch of different things that you can do to change that. And refinance is is always an option. It's not a guarantee if rates continue to go up, then you're obviously not going to refi. But if rates go up and you waited. And, well and if you, if you buy now and rates go up and you lose the opportunity to refi to a lower rate well you have a lower rate than what everyone else is getting at that time so um that's an advantage and if they do go down then you can refi and you know in two to three years if it makes sense to do so but generally speaking you know we're seeing inflation numbers in over eight percent and mortgage rates are at mid- fives like it's it does make sense right now to borrow money at you know it's cheaper to borrow money than it is to you know hold cash with the inflation that we're seeing. So my simplest philosophy on buying is buy when you're ready. So if you're comfortable with the rate, and you're comfortable with the down payment, and you're comfortable with the price then you're ready. If if there's stuff that's uneasy about that, have a conversation with us to see if we can, you know, get you comfortable but don't feel the pressure of I got to buy before X. It's got to be when you're when you're ready and most buyers kind of know when that is, you know, financially and just, you know, kind of mentally they're prepared to do that
0: for sure. I want Just a comment on that. The the reality is is that 2 and 3% interest rates for mortgages, that's not common. Like that's abnormal historically. The fact that we've been there the last few years is um part of why we had such a crazy market over the past few years. But that's far from a normal interest rate. Like historically, something between four and seven percent is much more common. So I do think it's unlikely that we get below four anytime soon. Um I mean it could be decades before we got back to that we don't know for yeah, sure yeah I mean I think
1: the expectation if rates do drop they're not going to drop to those right. levels they're going to drop to the fours right. I think that's kind of the expectation
0: and the other component of that is if they did drop it, I don't think they'll get to two or threes but if they did get back into the four percent that demand is going to come flying back and it's going to be crazy competitive again so if you're waiting for that to happen yeah you'll have a lower interest rate but prices are more than likely going to be higher than where they are now and you're back into the multiple offers crazy competitive situation if we do see that drop so uh look at the variables that we have now and we'll talk about strategies now about how we can handle both monthly affordability and reducing your entry costs to get you in a situation that's comfortable but waiting if you're wanting to purchase a house for something like the prices to really go down or interest rates to really go down i don't believe is a good strategy because if interest rates go down, it's going to be crazy competitive. I think it's unlikely that we see any significant price drops. So you're gonna be sitting on the sidelines and not be not be building equity during that time frame.
1: Right. And I think, I mean, that's the, essentially what you're describing is trying to time the market. And there's not very many success stories of people timing the market on purpose. Um, you know, it's very difficult to do. There's so many variables that play into that. So like we said... When you're ready and you feel ready, or you're kind of getting close to that point, have that conversation with your agent and ask those questions. Make sure you do have your ducks in a row and you're prepared. And at the end of the day, if you're comfortable with the, your monthly payment, and kind of what your you know rent amount would be, if it was you know it being a mortgage and what those carrying costs are, then you know and you have the liquidity to be able to get into a home with your kind of entry cost, then you're probably ready. Um, the The other variable of that too, from a uh, you know the movement of the market is a market that is definitely going to be increasing over the next 12 to 36 months is the rental market. Rents are going up. I think the forecast for Austin is over 20% year-over-year year increase on on rents. So if you are renting, that payment's definitely gonna go up. And that's gonna start to make a little bit more sense when you're looking at your your re- monthly rental amount compared to a mortgage. Yeah, it requires a little some upfront money, but then you're locking in that payment for you know as long as you live in the home,
0: for sure. Why do you think rent rates will increase?
1: Well, a number of reasons. When there's less people buying, there's more people renting. Um, Specifically in the city of Austin, we saw, because we've seen such a big increase in home values, property tax values went up significantly. That hits landlords the hardest because they don't have any protection from that, like homestead exemptions, which you get if you're a primary owner or occupant of your home. For sure. Um, So, the landlords it's a it's an investment just like anything else treated like a business they're just going to pass that co- cost down to the to the renter and when you have like i said when you have a diminishing supply of buyers they have to live somewhere so they're going to be renting and that's just going to increase the demand on the
0: rental side for sure uh, just to give a, a real life example on that one of my rental properties i purchased at 209 and this year i bought it two years ago this year the tax assessment was 440 So my monthly payment basically increased by 450 bucks on the tax side because that assessment went so high. So obviously my numbers on that changed dramatically. And that's why a lot of landlords are having to increase their rent rates, what they're offering the house for, because their costs went up so significantly with the increases in taxes over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, that's, it's a real thing and we're going to see it, you know, all over the city and, and outside of as Austin as well um, to kind of get into, you know, if a buyer's ready and they're kind of, you know, preparing to make that decision to purchase a home. The first kind of barrier there is their entry costs. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what buyers can do in this market to minimize their entry costs
0: and buying a home? Yeah, for sure. So, with the market being as crazy as it was the last couple of years, when we had clients come to us that were a pre-approved for 500000 looking to put 10% down, um, I mean, in 2016, that would have been an amazing buyer client. But over the last couple of years, it's been super difficult to get that client into a home because we weren't able to cover an appraisal gap because of all the multiple offer situations. But now, because we are in a more balanced market, we can look at houses that don't have multiple offers and we can get you into a house with lower down payment options. So there's a lot of different low down payment options um, across the different loan products. On a conventional loan, you can go as low as three percent down. On an FHA loan, you can goes as low as three and a half percent. And then VA, which is um, for veterans, there's a zero percent down option, so you can um, have no down payment on that. As well as USDA, which really doesn't apply to us in. Um, Austin, it's a rural-based, or location-based, but it's primarily in rural locations, but it doesn't really apply to our market. Uh, But moral of the story, there are different loan products now that we can get an offer accepted with that over the last couple of years we haven't been able to use. So we can get into a house at 5%, 3%, 3 3.5% down, whatever it may be, in some cases even 0% down. Now the other component of what your entry costs include are your closing costs. Generally speaking, your closing costs are gonna range from two to 4% of the sales price depending on the the terms of the loan and the the contract. But we can do things now when we're negotiating called uh, negotiating for seller concession, which are seller paid closing costs. In the past, this was difficult to do because the sellers had so much leverage in the negotiations that we weren't gonna get an offer accepted if we try to build that into a contract. But now in a more balanced market, if this house has been sitting there for 30 plus days and they wanna get this house under contract, we can bring an offer to the sellers that's going to include seller concessions. We can use those seller concessions for a multitude of things, but one is just reducing your total entry cost. So if you're someone out there that's looking to purchase a home and your biggest barrier to that for most people, it is, especially if you're looking to purchase your first home is the amount of cash you have. You don't have that 20% or that 10% even to put down, but you have, you know, do you feel comfortable putting five or 6% down and you have, money set aside to cover a rainy day scenario, we can get you into a loan and do a house at a lower down payment. We can get you to buy a $400,000 house and only have to bring somewhere in the ballpark of 20 grand, even lower in some cases to the table and, uh, and be able to actually be a homeowner with lower down payment. Have you uh, experienced any of that? Um,
1: the, the most common one that we've, uh, that I've kind of factored in for my clients is, not necessarily closing costs or, um, you know, from a down payment perspective, but improvements needed in the home. So it's a uh, seller's concession is the most common one. But if you're, you know, if my client's got 20% to put down and they want to ma- they want to maintain that to, you know, meet the conforming guidelines of a conventional loan, closing costs are, are not an issue, but it needs a new roof or needs, you know, new HVAC system, or maybe it's just updates they want to do. You know, they have a $25,000 budget that they want to spend on, um, you know, or a bid that they wanna spend on updating the home. We can negotiate, we can save some money with a seller's concession, whether it be 10 grand or 15 grand, whatever it may be, increase the the sales price. So their monthly payment's hardly changing, but it's basically a way to roll in that cost, cause You have entry costs to purchase the home but then if you have plans to spend money once you get in the home immediately on updates well that's entry costs really as well you're planning to spend those immediately so you can roll some of that stuff into the loan by this kind of method that we're talking about where you're increasing the the contract price and basically giving getting a concession from the seller so the seller makes no difference they're essentially getting you know they're walking away from the closing table with essentially the same amount of money but the buyer got to purchase the home and bring less money to the table for closing costs which keeps that money in the bank account so they can then go do those improvements. And that's something that, that's probably the most common one that I see with my clients. Um, and it's never anything like really significant because there is a limit on those concessions, but you know, $10,000 is, you know, that'll cover the cost of, you know, a, a re-roof or an HVAC or, you know, if you're updating flooring or something like that, like that's a pretty healthy budget for stuff like that. So that's probably the most common one that I that I use with my clients.
0: Yeah, for sure. A couple other options too that are available now that haven't been in a while. Um, are we can use grant programs. Grant programs are basically down payment assistance. There's a lot of requirements that go into it as far as uh, your income and credit score and things along those lines. There's income limits on it that you can, uh, uh, you, if you make too much, you can't apply for it. But these are all things when you sit down with your lender, you can find out if you are approved for, like if you can get a grant program. Obviously, interest rates are gonna be a little bit higher when you're using programs like that. But um, in 2017 and 2018, back before it got really crazy, I had multiple clients get into a house where they actually got their earnest money back at closing. It's pretty sweet when you're buying a house, you're getting the keys and you're getting a check. (laughs) That hasn't been the case over the last uh, few years. And again, when we talk about those things, there's a lot of variables involved with them. We wanna make sure that we're putting you in the best situation possible when we look at all those things. Sometimes a grant program is the best option for you, but other times it's gonna impact your monthly affordability so much that it doesn't make sense. But the only way we can really determine that is have you sit down with the lender and look at all your variables to determine what's your best framework for this search.
1: Yeah. And most people don't really understand before they get in the process of what their monthly payment is going to be and, you know, what their purchase price budget is. Cause a lot of times like you can, if you have a price budget, that's only because you know what that equates to on a monthly basis. If you don't know, you know, those calculations it almost doesn't matter if it's $500,000 or $700,000 or a million dollars. What matters is what does that monthly payment look like? And the only real way to do that is to kind of go through those different scenarios and sit down with a lender, look at your you know your assets and the cl- liquidity that you have for down payment and closing cost income, which is going to determine what your limit is on the loan amount, and then kind of back into the, those numbers from there. And obviously, a lender is going to give you those parameters of like, hey, this is where you're at. You, know, you can buy X purchase price with X percent down. And you can deviate from that. Obviously you can go lower. You can put a little bit, if you have the ability to put more money down, then you can put more money down. You're not locked in, but it certainly, uh, helps set the tone for, okay, this is, you know, this is what I'm able to do. This is the, these are my options. And sometimes it's, you determine what that is. Zach will send you properties that meet that criteria. Like I don't want to live in those areas. So I'm going to save up a little bit more money. I'm going to look in a different area or you are you know you're you just really want to own a home so you're willing to go outside of those geographic areas that you were originally interested in to kind of you know meet that budget sure. and um you know that's something that you know your agent's going to help you with when navigating you know different areas and
0: prices and that sort of thing for sure when we're, work, when we're working with clients the first thing we're going to have y'all do is meet with the lender and then we're going to build that framework based on what you feel comfortable with from a total entry cost standpoint and your monthly payment standpoint that's where we're going to try to create that search from to make sure we're operating it within a criteria that you feel comfortable with. What you're approved for is almost an irrelevant number if it doesn't fit within that criteria that you feel comfortable with on a monthly basis as well as an entry uh, level co- or entry cost uh, component. Yeah. With, uh, with that being said, what are some strategies that buyers can employ to reduce their monthly costs?
1: So the, probably the most common one is, uh, that's gonna affect your monthly payment is your interest rate. So obviously your interest rate's going up the way, where they're at. Um, there's opportunity to buy that rate down. Um, it's something that every lender offers. They're called discount points, but basically it's a calculation of a percentage of the loan amount will reduce your interest rate by a certain amount. And the general rule of thumb is every 1% of the loan in a fee or a discount point paid reduces your interest rate by a quarter of a point. So, on a $500,000 loan, you spend $5,000, your rate is reduced, uh, you know, 25 basis points or a quarter of a point. So, if you were at five and a half, now it's five and a quarter. What I always do with my clients is we sit down, and it's a very simple calculation, but you determine, okay, what is the basically what's the point cost and what's the rate reduction and how that and what that, you know, what that total amount is. So, in my hypothetical, it's five grand. And if your payment is being reduced by $100, that's 50 months of payments to break even, and eh, that probably doesn't make sense. My general rule of thumb is, if you break even in year, th- you know, between 36 and 48 months, probably makes sense to do. If it's anything past, you know, 48 months or even even a little over three and a half years, it probably makes sense just to keep that $5,000 in your bank account, pay 100 bucks more a month, and you know, you in there's a likelihood that you're either going to refi or you're going to sell that home before you hit that year four or five mark anyway. Um, so that's kind of my rule of thumb is do that quick math of what your, you know, that rate buy down fee is and how much does it save you and when's the break even point. And there's some, there's some cases where you're breaking even, you know, at 18 months or two years. And that's almost always makes sense to do that. And you can pay two points to get it down half a point. You can pay, you know, sometimes two points gets it down three quarters of a point. So it can make a real big difference, um, especially depending on, you know what that loan amount is that's a big one and then the second one that is not really um, talked about a whole lot is the property tax rate th- variance like within austin so there's you know when you're in central austin you're gonna pay 2.2 percent on for your property tax rate that's essentially a tax that the um ta- the travis county and others, but it's, it's summed up to about 2.2%. They tax you on the value of your home every year. So if you own a $500,000 house and they're taxing you 2%, that's 10 grand. Um, there's other parts of town that are 2.5%, almost 3%. And then there's parts of town that are one6 1.7%. Well, if it's a $500,000 house or an $800,000 house, that's a lot of money in a change of nothing being different other than your tax rate. So if that is something that you're, you know, and that's money you don't get back. So it's not something that's going towards your mortgage payment. It's something that does increase year over year. You know, as the values of the homes go up, your tax bill is going to go up. Rates change every year in addition to the the tax values. So sometimes they can, sometimes tax rates come down and we're seeing a decrease this year, but for them, but with a significant increase in value. So likely people are going to see an increase in their tax bill, but if that is something that you want, that you pay attention to, or, or you're interested in, then we can look at some of those lower tax, lower taxing areas. And that would be, you get outside of town in, you know, Wimberley, for example, Dripping Springs, both of those, I know, you know, Sunset Valley, Westlake, all of those have lower tax rates than, you know, central Austin. Um, there's some areas like Eastern park and you get, you know, in Manor and, you get outside of, uh, or even like San Marcos and Columbia, they have higher tax rates than the city of Austin and Travis County. So that's one that we can pay attention to
0: and help you. I mean, that can significantly decrease your your monthly carry on that. Yeah, that's literally hundreds of dollars a month. Yeah. I mean, the difference between a 1.8 interest rate and a 3%, or not interest rate, but property tax rate and a 3% tax rate, that's significant on your monthly basis. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, anything else I missed on that?
0: No, uh, a strategy that some of my clients have used and I actually use personally from a monthly affordability standpoint is called house hacking. So the traditional idea of house hacking is that you would buy like a duplex or a triplex, live in one of the sections and rent out the other two to either cover all of your mortgage or a large portion of it. Uh, Another variant that I actually employed when I bought my first house, I bought my first house with a 3.5% down FHA loan. So I had 20K out of pocket. And then I brought on two roommates and rented out rooms. So I was paying my portion of the mortgage was roughly a thousand bucks a month. And then after a few years, I was able to sell that house, take the profit from that and turn it into two additional investment properties from that. So it's a great way to build wealth. Obviously there's the convenient factor of living with someone else isn't ideal, but from a wealth building standpoint, it's one of the best ways to, to grow wealth quickly is getting into a house, start building equity. And have other people pay for a portion of that. And you can also do things such as um, Airbnb, um, or couch surfing, where there's different ways that you can rent out rooms for a shorter amount of time, but still be bringing in cash so that having uh, your name on a house, but having the title of a house and being able to rent out different rooms is a great way to have other people start building your wealth
1: yeah yeah just a way to generate income on that property and you know offset some of those carrying costs for sure as yeah. a um airbnb is a good one even if it's one of those things whether you're renting it out for a um you know there's there, it's difficult to get a short-term rental permit in austin for type 2 but if it's type 1 meaning it's your primary residence you want to rent it out you know a handful of weekends a year when you're out of town or you go stay at a friend's house or whatever um during those big weekends acl or south by whatever that may be you can rent out your house for you know three or four nights. You get generate some money from that, and that's going to help you know reduce your caring costs throughout the course of the year. Help pay that property tax bill and some of that you know whether whether you have um, you know a higher interest rate or whatever it may be. You can you can help offset that cost, and that's something
0: you know if you can't do unless you're a homeowner. For sure. One other thing I wanted to ask you as far as monthly affordability goes, starting to see a lot more ARMs used adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, we know that term back from the 2008 days, 2009 days of being a a naughty word, right? Something that we don't want to touch. Uh, Do you think people should look into using arms and should they be concerned about it if they do?
1: Um, yeah, it's at least something that you should consider. Talking with a lender, you know, subject matter experts is is kind of my, um, that's always my philosophy. So talk to a lender, see what those options are, see what the, um, you know, the kind of the terms are of that. Adjustable rate mortgage is pretty broad. There's a lot of different products out there that fit under that umbrella. Um, a lot of times, you know, you'll see, you'll hear five one-arms, seven one-arms, ten one arms That first number is how long that rate is locked in before it adjusts. So if you have a seven one-arm, And it doesn't adjust for seven years. There's a pretty good chance you're not going to own that home after seven years. You're likely going to sell um, before then. Um, Adjustable rates are not, you know, there. There is the exposure there that it could increase. But another thing to look at is most of those ARMs have a cap on how much they can increase, both annually and altogether. So again, that's kind of the fine print of those loans. But if you have, you know, five one one that means after five years it can increase but it can increase more than a full point every year so that's what that second number is and then there's there's an indication w- written in that loan of it can't get more than you know four points over the original rate so you're kind of obviously f- five to nine percent or whatever would be significant but there's protections in there the main thing that i look at is what's the likelihood that you're going to own it longer than that you know initial rate term um so if it's a if it's a five one arm that's you know there's a decent chance you're going to own it after five years so it's a little bit higher risk but that also means that that entry rate that first rate is going to be lower um you know it's it's a higher risk but it's you know they're going to give you the benefit of having that lower rate and don't think the other option too and this is when uh, the home that I'm in now, when we initially purchased it, it was an adjustable rate mortgage. It was a seven one. And we had, I think we refinanced in year four and you know, the rate came down. So you can always refinance out of these two. And we, you know, I kind of had that in the back of my mind of like, see where rates are going to be at, at year seven, but you know, rates were very
0: favorable around year four. And that's when I decided to refi. For sure. I actually just locked on a seven one for uh, one of my investment properties that I'd be buying here at Hopefully this month. Yeah, theoretically this month. We'll see if it's done. What um, <laughs> what was the rate difference between that and kind of the conventional it was rate? A, almost a percent and a half. So wow. yeah, yeah, we locked at five point one, and we were going to be at six six on an investment loan. So got it. Uh, yeah, yeah so, significant uh, difference.
1: Yeah, I mean that's and that's a, I mean that's the. A difference maker in it, whether you're probably buying an investment property or not. Because the whole point and a half swing is probably going to make it, you know, not a, you know, right. it's not going to cash flow. You're going to be, you know, negative cash flow probably. So, um, yeah, definitely look at that. Talk to the lenders and talk to your lender and ask that question of, hey, what are my options here? If I did adjustable, if I did conventional, if I did FHA and kind of get, let them kind of lay out the different examples, ask for their opinion, what they think is a good idea and best because, you know, that, that's their world. Um, but don't necessarily rule those out just because of the, you know, the adjustable the is kind way. of a scary term. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The regulations are a lot different than they were back then as well. They're a much safer product. But at the end of the day, it's what your your plan is, what your goals are, and make sure that it fits within that because um, yep. you do have additional options. But if, you're, if you think you'll be selling the house in seven years, then it's a very safe thing to do. And it's also you have the option of refining if it presents itself. So a lot of different options there, but a great way to, another great way to reduce your monthly costs to allow you to get a a more comfortable monthly payment. Absolutely. All right. Well, what should we do from here? If I'm a buyer?
1: Call Zach. (laughs) <laughs> or, or, uh, or, uh, any of our agents on our, on our team. Um, we've got a we've got a strong team of agents, um, all experienced in this market have, ha, are coming off the, the two craziest years ever working with buyers. So, um, the biggest thing that, you know, I keep telling people is ask questions, reach out, um, just see if it's an option. If, if, if the market is scary, ask us those questions, um, see if we can help with that. This is we're not going to answer the phone and convince you to buy a home. That's that's not our job. It's it's to educate you, make sure you feel comfortable kind of coming into this market. And um, most, most of us have a, a lot of experience with a bunch of resources where we can help answer those questions and make you feel better, even if it's just give you a better understanding of it. And that understanding tells you, hey, I want to wait till next spring to buy. Um, but reach out, ask questions. That's the um, that, that's my
0: advice. For sure. Part of why we're covering this is we're hopeful that you're aware of more options now. Like if you've been on the fence so on possibly making a move but just didn't think you had enough cash up front to do it or you were concerned about monthly affordability, hopefully this kind of opened your eyes to some different options that you have now. At the end of the day, really, if you're interested at all, you just need to give us a call. We'll sit down with you, put together a game plan, and determine whether or not now is a good time if we have a good framework to move forward with or if we don't and we need to take some additional action to get you in a position that you feel comfortable with but you can't really we can't know that until we sit down and we look at all your variables and meet with the lender and create a game plan cool all right my friends well uh we appreciate everybody listening if you like what you listen we'd greatly appreciate you all to leave a review as well as subscribe tell your friends about it help us grow our listener base and you're also able to uh, find our contact information in the show notes. So if you have any questions or you're interested in finding out more about how we can help you achieve your goals for real estate, feel free to reach out and we would love to do so.
1: Thank yeah. you, guys. See you next time.